It's fiddle time. I'm Mike Key. He's Tyler Crone, and we're doing it live. Hey, Mike. Long time no talk. How you doing? I am doing well, my friend. Um, yeah, it's been a while since we've done this. I, I hear there's news in your family. Yeah, yeah I got a four-month-old at home now. Uh, so finally getting some sleep, and we can do some more podcasts. Fantastic. I'm sorry. Did you say you're getting sleep? I don't really, I'm not really sure I believe that. About eight hours a night. It's pretty awesome. Now that I said that, tonight's going to fucking suck. So yep. here we are. Probably what's, that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> we're, we're getting ready to get ramped back up. And in that spirit, I think we have a guest with us today. First time. Yeah, we got Brian Rook with us today. Uh, both of us worked with Brian in the past. Uh, he's been leading software teams for the past eight years. He thinks of himself as a technical manager with a focus on delivering features into production. How's that for bio? Does that work? Sure, it works for me. Thank you. How you been, Brian? I have been doing all right. I've been doing the family thing like like Tyler and uh, sort of moving around in different uh, companies in my career. And now I'm leading a platform engineering team. Platform engineering team. That sounds fancy. What's that? We are going to build out the platform to facilitate the uh, productivity of other engineers within the enterprise. So I want to take a step back real quick and just define, you know, we've, the word engineer is thrown around a lot, right? Software engineer, platform engineering. And I want to just talk about... You know, Have what, you heard of a marketing engineer? marketing engineer, sales engineering, right? Like engineering thrown all over the place. Some people get very pedantic. Some people are like, you can't be an engineer without an engineering degree. And so I want to just break this down. Uh, people can at me on Twitter. If you disagree, that's fine. I don't care. I actually do have two engineering degrees, one in computer engineering, one in systems engineering. So I feel like I have the authority to say what the fuck this is. Back in college, you know, a bunch of hard math, Right, but that's not what any of this is about. Engineering is about problem solving. There's millions of different ways to solve something, right? How, how do you build a circuit? How do you build a bridge, a jet engine? There's a million ways to build a prosthetic leg, a web application, but it's all about the trade-offs, right? That's what engineering is about. It's about, you have all these architecture illities. Which ones do you care about? Which ones do you prioritize? And that's what, to me, and you guys can disagree if you, if you think otherwise, but engineering is about how do you solve the problem, looking at those architecture illities and optimizing for those things that you care about, right? So like a platform engineering team, right? That's what the engineering means, right? So what are the things that your platform cares about, that your company cares about? And how are you going to solve those problems? That's, uh, there's a difference between a programmer and an engineer, right? We were talking earlier, programming is a very small part of this equation. That's, that's the easy part. Anyone can go solve. Once you know how to solve it and what you're doing, you can go write up some code to do it. So that all sounds great, but like, what is a platform engineering team? I don't like, kind of seems like it's just a new way to do DevOps. Well, what is the platform? What does that mean, platform? I don't know. What does it mean? That's what I'm asking. There's lots of DevOps aspects to it, but what's your product, Brian? 
Like what, what is the thing that you're delivering? The challenge that we're facing is that there's a lot of product initiatives that we want to spawn. There's, you know, lots of teams that we have to ramp up, lots of, of features that we want to build. And the challenge that we're facing is that in order to spin up lots of teams, in order to grow the company, we have to find the commonalities that are challenges across all those teams and, and find a way to solve them in a common way so that as engineers are being onboarded, they're given a fairly decent set of tools to basically start. So things that are difficult, like security, not that caching is difficult, but a consistent way of doing caching, multi-tenancy. These are things that product development teams shouldn't necessarily have to focus on solving that problem. And when we're building out a platform, we're trying to find a way to solve that in a highly scalable way, and then be able to train up product engineering teams so they can just hit the ground running and dive into their domain and get cracking. What I heard out of that was that there's these cross-cutting concerns that all of these product delivery teams have. A lot of them have to deal with caching. A lot of them, they all have to deal with some type of security authentication. And there's these cross-cutting capabilities. How do you standardize that across your stack so it's not wild, wild west? Set up best practices, guardrails. Yeah, exactly. And sort of the challenge is you have a lot of really smart people and they all have their opinions and you've got to corral those opinions into something that's actually going to be adopted by these new teams, right? You can't just go out and tell them what to do. You have to find a way to provide value for them. This is something that came out of the expansion of distributed architectures like microservices. One of the things I heard you talking about, Brian, is how you have multiple teams trying to do multiple features all in parallel. And I assume that these teams are, are focused on a product each and they all somehow interact with one another in the ecosystem of what you do. Is that accurate? Yeah, that was one of the really interesting things. I think we were, we were watching some videos on microservices at one of our brown bag sessions and they were talking about Conway's Law and enabling individual teams to sort of like deliver, develop and deliver on their own cadence. You know, microservices, if, you're, if your organization is going to match your architecture, microservices sort of like seems like the way for teams to sort of like operate and deliver independently of each other. And it's the same problem that we have with microservices. You have all of these disparate services that hopefully do one thing and do it really well, but do you let them write their services in all sorts of different languages? Uh, what does that mean for the culture of your organization? Are they all solving the same problem, but doing it in different ways? Um, and I think that's the sort of challenge of platform engineering is to provide some consistency, but, a, but allow enough flexibility for teams to, to do what they need to do. So it sounds like this this type of team is developing like guardrails and, and things like the types of questions I hear you asking there, are the guardrail-ish kind of architecture questions I think about, right? Like to me in a platform engineering team, you're doing something like implementing a service chassis, which introduces certain guardrails throughout how you, for how you build a service, what languages you, you know, provide or support and you know, the way I like to say say it in these terms is making doing the right thing easy. To me, the key is if you make doing the right thing easy, then it's not hard to get developer buy-in for these things. 
that said, it feels to me like this type of team has to be a pretty experienced team. It can't be three college hires that say, hey, man, we're the platform engineering team. We got this covered, right? And and why is that? I think one of the challenges that, that we face is that you have to know a little bit about infrastructure. You have to know a little bit about the operations side of the house. You have to know uh, enough about the engineering side of the house. You have to know varieties of tech stacks and vendors and find the one that best fits what you're, the problem that your company is trying to solve. And, and not only that, but they have to be experienced enough and have good communication skills to build rapport with all of the product engineering teams because that's essentially your customer. So you have to gather requirements and get feedback and, and support those teams. And you hopefully have a team that's experienced and has a high level of confidence, but also approachable and uh, willing to uh, reach out and, and help their fellow engineers. I think that's the key here is who, who is the customer? This is often is not an externally facing customer, right? Your customer are the developing, the product development teams. We face a unique challenge in that we're sort of the platform engineering team for both an external customer as well as our internal customers. So we're, we're, we're trying to manage that by, by building mediation layers to orchestrate calls to our internal services to support our external customers. But we also need to support our product engineering teams as well. So yes, normally your product engineering team is internally facing. And currently, as we're sort of standing up our platform, we are tackling both of those challenges. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? As your company grows, your teams evolve, right? And you could see that maybe peeling off into its own team eventually. Oh, for sure. It's not a bad way to start because you can incubate your first product services with people who are very familiar with the platform. But yes, I think eventually you're going to have needs that are wildly divergent from an external customer facing standpoint and an internal platform engineering standpoint, where I expect that you would want to separate those efforts and, and focus on them in different teams. Should every company just go make a platform engineering team? I would highly discourage that. I think you need to uh, you you need to have a need. It's very expensive to dedicate this time. This is not a a value add to a company other than improving efficiency and productivity over time. This is like a cost center. You're not making money from your platform, but it is an investment. And so, if you have a small company, it's probably overkill. If you don't have a lot of traffic, you probably can get away with having product teams optimizing their their services according to their needs. It's sort of ideally suited when you have lots and lots of teams building lots and lots of services that when you have the, that cross-cutting concern that you can extract out, abstract from those teams and, and centralize it. Platform engineering is probably somewhat associated with things like evolutionary architecture, microservices, and really you should, you know, why shouldn't everybody just go jump out and say, yeah, we need to do this. Duh. Everybody should do this is because you should know why, 
right? Just like you, just like choosing to use microservices. If you don't know why you're doing it, other than it's popular and people are talking about it a lot, then you're probably not going to end up with what you expect. Yeah, definitely agree with that. What are some of the other challenges that you faced implementing a platform engineering team? Was this something you had to sell your org or is this something people were already on, on board with? And to, to Mike's point, you have to know why you're doing it. And so we, we faced a variety. I think we've, I, a lot of the heavy lifting was done before I got there, but there's a lot of education about what a platform is and what the value it is, not just to leadership, but also to other engineers and as well as like teams in the enterprise. So there's, there's definitely a lot of education because again, you have to know why you're doing it because the, the cost is so high, it has to be justified. There's a, a variety of vendors that you could build your platform on. So you have AWS and GCP and Azure, and then there's lots of stacks that you can buy and deploy onto those. And you really need to do the deep dive into the trade study and, and find, if you're going to build a platform, identify the key attributes that you're looking for and find a vendor or a set of products and a tech stack that sort of like meets your needs. There's a lot of research that you need to do. And, and, and I assume you're talking about things like Rancher and, and tools like that, that give you a lot of one-stop shopping and patterns already built for you. And so why would I use one of those tools instead of just building it myself? Is it really hard? Uh, yeah, I think one of the first things I heard was you do not want to be like a Kubernetes admin. That sounds like a lot of work. Uh, and, and so why not just go find a vendor that provides Kubernetes for you, like uh, EKS? Oh, sure, absolutely. But I, I'm thinking of tools like Rancher that are like they give you like a service template and it think of things like Pivotal Cloud Foundry where like what they're giving you is a whole bunch of Spring Boot and Spring Cloud pre-configured stuff and you can really get started really quickly. They're providing specific patterns that, that say these are general microservice patterns. So here you go, have a field day. I'm thinking more of those than I am like GCP or something like that. Like I definitely run GCP, run AWS, whatever, for sure. Similar to Cloud Foundry, I think Tanzu is is another sort of like platform in a box. I think that's uh, what option. replaced it. Yeah, I think that's the new version of it. I guess it depends on 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 your requirements. Some of these things give you sort of like the first couple steps into your plan. If you don't know anything, sometimes it's it's easier to buy a commercial off the shelf product. And, and bootstrap yourself into where you need to be. I prefer to have a little bit more flexibility of getting down to the bare bones and having that level of proficiency and expertise on the core platform, because I may not want to be tied to a vendor. These things get expensive. Uh, the whole goal is to scale. And you know these commercial off-the-shelf licenses cost you money as you, as you go down that route. And again, one of the attributes that we're looking for in a platform is flexibility. And so I may not want to do it the way that, or my engine or my, my product service teams may not want to do it the way that the commercial platform provides. And what do you do when, when you go down that route? There's a lot of good reasons in there for sure. And I agree. Another I can think of is, is a lot of times the, the reason I've shied away from tools like those is 
they do exactly what I what I mentioned before is they they do like common patterns. Here's a you know streams processor flow that you can do and then here's you know restful type of services things you can do and and those are great to start with but to me a platform is an evolvable part of an architecture you'll hear a lot like what are the hard parts of architecture like going from kubernetes to whatever the next thing may be that's a hard part of architecture right like how do we how do we keep our system set up in such a way that we could make that transition if we needed to? And that matters in all the layers from Kubernetes down to what whatever you're using to store currency numbers. And that's what I see is like there's just not enough of what they give you to actually say, okay, I need to build my platform for my domain, not whatever comes in a box. I absolutely agree with you. The domain, every platform is not going to be the same. It's going to be sort of influenced and and take on the smell of your industry. So if you're working in the financial industry, you're going to care about transactions and make insecurity. Uh, if you're working in a different industry, you're going to have different needs. And they're going to permeate your platform because your platform is going to evolve to the needs of your product teams who are working in your industry domains. So, and, it's, and in a lot of cases, they're defining a domain within an industry, right? I, I mean, a lot of companies aren't defining a domain. And, and so how do you buy an off-the-shelf off product for defining a domain? Yeah, I'm laughing at that. I mean... I, I, I've been around a long enough time that I've seen like BPL and BPM where it's like, oh yeah, we'll just. Oh, there's always, yeah, there's the attempts for sure. There's always attempts. I've, I've, I've heard of the, uh, the code free stuff coming back again. It's, it was making another run about six months ago. I think I was seeing a lot of articles about it and. Yeah. Low code, no code. Yep, yeah. All it, it all sounds good. You draw some they pretty just, pictures and, and you're good to go. They, they change the name of it about every five to 10 years. So that I, I think be so that all the same companies can go back and resell the same stuff. Just reskin for later. I kid a little bit when I say that, I mean, they've gotten better at doing it, but I still have yet to see anything that you can do truly complex things with that you don't need some software experience. That's a good ideal. And maybe that's a little bit of what platform engineering is, is trying to do is like you said, like lower the barrier of entry so that you can get in and start being effective and delivering features that provide value to your company. One of my favorite things is like I, my goal when I started in a new team and, and try to go through this process of mindset shifting and everything else we do in microservices from, from different architecture styles is the 30 minute. I, I try to have this 30 minute rule. How can I get a new developer up to speed and like hands-on with code checked out and in front of him in an IDE within 30 minutes? So that sounds like a fitness function for your platform engineering team. I think it is, but it's, it's, it's also a goal, right? Like, so like, how do you get there? 
Let's, nobody has to say anything. We know, we know we don't talk about them. But in your day job, just think in your head, how long does it take to onboard a software developer to get them truly like productive? It's more than 30 minutes. Right. So how do you, how do you do that? Right. And to me, being able to say, here's like entry level, like hello worldish kind of welcome to a platform all the way to like, now you can dive in deeper and see all these specialty things you can learn over time, but you can get somebody able to work in an environment if you treat your platform like a product pretty quickly. I think 30 minutes might be a bit aggressive depending on how quick some people can read, but you get my point. Like, you know, the best tools that are out there that you try and you go get them and they've got like four lines of do this, do this. And then it gives you a, an example of how the tool works. And you're like, Oh, that was beautiful. That's what I think the goal of a platform engineering team should be with engaging with that platform. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an awesome goal. What, what are some other goals? What are measures of success for a platform engineering team? What, how do you know, like Brian said, it's a cost center, but how do you know it's successful? Well, that's why I'm not 100% sure I agree that it's a cost center. Uh, I mean, on the surface, that's absolutely true. But I think how you know it's successful is that you're able to use data. First and foremost, you're able to use data to make decisions on changes to things, right? If you have back pressure somewhere, you've got you know slowness in a database somewhere, whatever it might be that's happening in your system, you can see that through all of the all of your fitness functions and your metrics and your monitoring and you use that data to go, okay, how could we fix this? And then you go, okay, let's try this fix. Did it make it better? You can do that all the way from how quick does it take us to get from a feature request to a piece of code running in production to very tiny configuration changes within a platform, right? You measure all of that and then you can use data to say, we know this is getting better because we can show it to you. That's one of the things that we're taking on as a core feature of our platform is the observability. Not only how the, the services are performing, but how your domain is performing. And then are you, meet, are, you, are you meeting service level objectives that you're defining for yourself? For example, one of the features that we have is a, a webhook callback. So when a domain event is being emitted at the enterprise, it goes through our system. We find out the people that want to subscribe to that, if they can subscribe to that, do they have permissions to listen to that event? And then we identify the callback URL that they want to be called back on and give them the notification so they can do whatever they want to do with it. So how long does it take for a domain event being emitted to resulting in a callback? That domain metric is something that we're very interested in. But we also want to measure things from a platform engineering perspective, not just within the, the platform services that we provide, but we want to look at things like how long does it take to deploy a service into an environment? Because there's a lot of things that are happening behind the scenes. We're generating the open API spec docs. We're registering your endpoint with the uh, API gateway. We're pushing your monitors out as a product that is packaged with your application. Uh, all those things are going to slow down the time for delivery. So 
we would need to track that and then find ways to improve it over time. And then at a more macro level, um, since I since I didn't accurately finish my thought there, in, with that type of measurement, think now about, okay, are we making the development process faster? Is it getting faster? In other words, are we able to deliver features to the business faster? And if that's true, then in my view, platform engineering teams are no longer a cost center, right? You're actually increasing revenue by what you're doing. Yeah, and we've all seen that, right? Over time, if you don't have something like a platform engineering team or people focused on what Mike was just talking about, your delivery speed goes down. It gets slower and slower and slower over time, right? Because you're adding more things. And it's one of the, the pitfalls of a, a monolithic system too. Right. As that thing bloats and gets tightly coupled, it gets harder and harder to make changes. And we have a whole podcast about that. But platform engineering team removes a lot of that friction by providing best practices, standards, uh, turnkey solutions, making it easy to do the right thing. You can completely see platform engineering being responsible for what's the pattern for testing and production. And that's that's actually one of the things that we think is sort of like under our mandate is nobody has time to build a, a chaos monkey. They always, I've, I've worked at a lot of companies that are like, oh yeah, we'll just throw the chaos monkey at it. Well, who's going to build that? If you pull one off the shelf, who's going to run it? So that's the beauty of some of the chaos monkeys that are going on right now that, and I'm going to, I'm going to do a quick plug for one of my favorites, which is the spring boot chaos monkey, which is brilliant and I hope more chaos monkey type tools come out like it because what it's doing is actually just creating injecting faults within spring boot and the framework itself so it'll do things like simulate network slowdowns or simulate a controller that can't talk to a database it'll just randomly do that stuff and it's all just in spring boot so you just have to flip a switch and say run these tests with chaos monkey enabled and it'll just randomly do them and i hope more tools start doing that like i'd I'd like to see like scoped layered type of tools like that like give me chaos monkey at the spring boot layer give me chaos monkey at the kubernetes layer give me chaos monkey at the at the vm slash bare metal layer i i'd like to see that kind of stuff happening. And I haven't looked in a while, so maybe it's starting to, I don't know, but I know the spring one is, is fantastic. Has anyone ever worked at a place that had actually implemented chaos engineering? Yes, but not in production because we didn't have production yet. We were a pre pre pre-released piece of software and we got done with it really early. It was a early stage startup. We got done with it before they could find any customers for the tool eventually ran out of money. But when we were bored, we actually did start building chaos monkeys because we didn't have anything else to do, but performance test and break it. Yeah, I have, I have not. Neither have I, uh, but uh, Mike and I are also on platform engineering teams. I should have said that at the beginning. Um, And I I also see that as an upcoming response responsibility of the team as the team matures. Yeah, resilience is huge, especially with microservices and thing. And you can see the the growth phase of of teams just introducing themselves to it. They don't 
often think about resilience when when they first start building systems. And that's when you'll start seeing unexpected things happen. You know, like one service gets really slow. It can't talk to a database. And the next thing you know, half the system is is in chaos. To take it back to platform engineering, I think that's sort of the goal of our platform engineering team is to not only solve the problems that we can solve within the platform engineering space, but to provide guidance and best practices in general about distributed software systems. Because again, there's lots of different ways to do it. There's people that are going to join our company, your company, any company that have a have a, a differing level of, of maturity and experience with these technologies. And you can't just send them into the wild. They won't last long. So you have, hopefully give them some tools that will uh, prepare them uh, for the challenges that, that come. And hopefully not just a bird. Yeah, and hopefully not just a bird call, like not like when they need help or anything. <laughs> Here's your smoke signal. <laughs> SOS. Yeah, I, I also just really quickly want to touch on the reason the things that platform engineering is not. It's not a, it's not a magic bullet. It doesn't make things instantly easy. Uh, there's the platform engineering team needs that deep knowledge and experience and communication skills because there's complicated problems. Um the other thing is the product service teams with with that lower barrier of entry uh, can't get away from the fundamentals of domain-driven design. Like just because you have a platform team that sort of like makes a lot of this stuff easier for you, your job is now to focus on your problem domain and do that domain-driven design activities uh, like event storming to find out what your system actually does and, and and platform engineering helps by so you don't have to chase uh, the problems that all the other teams are chasing, like security and scaling and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it provides focus, right? It gets it gets rid of the noise of things that you really don't care about but you need, right? Because they're cross cutting concerns. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and I think anytime you're talking about microservices, you should always say domain-driven design just to keep it in people's heads. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, Brian, where can people find out more about you? My LinkedIn profile uh, at uh, Brian Rook. Uh, I also have a website where I, I'm sort of like writing up courses on developing microservices, deploying them on Kubernetes, best practices around uh, testing and design. Uh, my website is www.bullyrooks.com. Wait a minute. Are you a bully? It's not a bully. It's just a, a friendly rogue. I like that. Friendly rogue. Awesome. If you like what you heard, you know, like and subscribe. Tell your friends. Uh, you, can, you can find us on Twitter. We are FiddleDev at FiddleDev on Twitter. So... Uh, if you think we're full of shit, come tell us. <laughs> <laughs>